Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Padres Social Hour on this Tuesday evening. I'm Jesse Agler, one of the Padres broadcasters. Thanks for taking some time to hang out with us here tonight. We've got a very fun show for you. Trevor Hoffman will join us coming up in a little bit. Had that conversation with Trevor just a little while ago, and I assure you it is worth waiting for. Really, really good stuff with Trevor. We talk about everything that he saw at spring training this year, some of the top pitching prospects in the Padre organization. Also, how he would be handling uh, what's going on right now, not just in the world of baseball, but in the world in general. If he were still pitching, uh, perhaps some good advice uh, for the guys out there who are sort of in uh, purgatory, you know, as, as we all are, just sort of waiting to see what will happen next. So that's kind of the big exciting thing. I'm uh, very happy to be joined by AJ Casavell of MLB.com for the show today. And perhaps at some point, Brady Phelps as well, trying to iron through a couple of technical difficulties with him. But have no fear because... Uh, Albert James Casabell is with us uh, to talk baseball. AJ, how's how's things on your end? You get farther and farther from the AJ every time you come up with a new one. Things are good. Things are uh, we're healthy here. We are uh, in good spirits, but still just waiting for some clarity on baseball and on life. And uh, yeah, just uh, doing what we can to get by for now. Waiting on uh, clarity of baseball and life. That's uh, that's pretty much it right now for all of us. I think anybody tuned into the show uh, probably feels exactly the same way. Uh, AJ had a fun piece on, on MLB.com, on Padres.com this week about the top third baseman, uh, plural, in Padres history. Uh, pretty good list. I think this one's going to be hard to rough him up on. We've had some fun with AJ on some of his other lists. We'll go over that in a few minutes. But first, a very happy 54th birthday to the Hall of Famer and the former Padre Greg Maddox obviously did not make a name for himself in San Diego, uh, but nevertheless, obviously one of the top pitchers of his generation. Uh, it's just an incredible talent uh, who did spend about a year and a half in San Diego. We'll talk to Trevor about his teammate, uh, Greg Maddox, coming up in a little bit as well. Uh, by the way, Mad Dog at GoFundMe uh, has a really good fundraiser going right now. He's going to be matching all donations up to $54,000 uh, to celebrate his 54th birthday to support healthcare workers and food banks, uh, including Rady Children's Hospital here in San Diego, Feeding America, and Candle Lighters. So Greg Maddox doing some good stuff uh, on his 54th birthday. That's a big number, man, matching all donations up to $54,000. You can find it on his Twitter, uh, GoFundMe, and everything like that. Uh, when I say the name Greg Maddox, AJ Castle, what's the first thing that jumps into your mind? That that two seamer that cuts back across the outside corner against a right-handed hitter. That's that's to me what it is. And I don't want to like this isn't to diminish what he did, but it was it's more to talk about like what the times were like. Nobody moved that strike zone further out and further out, or if it's an inside corner further in and further in than him. He just he just took advantage of every little thing he could. Maybe, uh, man, if we're talking like the best pitchers I've ever seen, he's like right up there. I got to put Pedro up there. I got to put Randy Johnson up there too, but. He's right up there and doing some really good things for charity today on his birthday, too. Like you said, I don't specifically remember the, precisely all the charities that it was for, but it was some really good stuff. So he's matching your contributions 
I mean, great baseball player, great pitcher, and great dude too. Yeah, uh, and and a colorful character in baseball. Like you said, you know, I think if you're going to do, and forgive me because this is now off the top of my head, but like of that 1990s into the 2000s group of guys, I think you named the three, right? Like the top three in whatever order you want to do in terms of Pedro, Randy Johnson, and him, uh, just in the success over the course of the whole thing. And he did it so differently than those other two guys. Not that Pedro and, and the unit did it the exact same way, but they both threw hard. Pedro, obviously, kind of a diminutive right-hander. Randy Johnson, a huge left-hander. Um, but but they had real deal velo, not to take anything away from Greg Maddox, who could throw the fastball, uh, obviously, with the best one. But, like, it was a completely different approach than those other two guys in an era, obviously, in which home runs were exploding all over the place. Yeah, and it's it's that that's kind of what makes it cool. That's what makes him unique is because of the way he did it. And, uh, like, if you go back and watch some of those games, instead of just watching the highlights, the strike threes, like, if you watch – I forget which one I watched recently, but it was it might have been that Marlins series, and I don't even think they won. But he just he literally expands the strike zone by himself, and I think this is in a time before like umpires have gotten better, probably because they're 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 they've been a little more there's been a little more scrutiny on them, and I don't know if that's if that would play the same way. But I also know that Greg Maddox was so good and so smart and was able to figure so many things out that he would have he would have made it work. He would have put he would have put his pitches where they needed to be, and so. Um, you mentioned, I think those three, I would like Roger Clemens has to be in that discussion. I think he was probably more, uh, his career was more longevity and maybe a different era. Like that late nineties was probably belonged to those three guys with Clemens as a fourth. Um, but yeah, like, like you said, Clemens, Pedro, Randy Johnson, those guys were just high octane velocity guys. Greg Maddox was just as good, if not better than those guys. And he did it just a completely different way. Yeah, you made a good point uh, about the strike zone then. It, there's no question it's different, and we're not taking anything away from him. He's a Hall of Famer no matter what. But there's no doubt that it was a more liberal strike zone, certainly for certain pitchers, and he and Glavin probably at the top of that list in the same rotation uh, in that era than it is now. But he was so pinpoint that like he would have figured it out. You know, like I, I just don't think there's any question about it. He took advantage of what they gave him. Uh, but if, if he needed to do something else, he he absolutely would have. Now, of course, if you're a Padre fan and we're talking about Greg Maddox, you're probably thinking about Tony Gwynn. And, you know, not to drag Maddox on his birthday for God's sake, but, you know, like, I mean, Tony's numbers against <laughs> Greg Maddox were just absolutely remarkable. And I, I think probably most Padre fans know about the numbers. But, I mean, when you put them down in black and white, or in this case, brown and gold uh and you read them uh in 107 plate appearances he never struck out now maddox not an ultimate strikeout guy tony obviously never struck out but he had 415 against him Uh, (laughs) i mean again this is a guy who was as good as anybody of his era on the mound and tony Gwynn absolutely carved him up remarkable numbers yeah that had to be so so frustrating for greg maddox hi brady Oh hey guys, I'm back. <laughs> Sorry we're, we're about that. We're talking some uh, Greg Maddox versus Tony Gwynn right now, and that, I, like I said, go ahead. That that just had to be so frustrating for Greg Maddox because he could do it to everyone else, and he couldn't do it to Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn just just had his number, and he's the best pitcher maybe of the generation. Yeah, and it's not like it was a small sample size; it was over 100 yeah. bats. I just love it, and I I don't I didn't catch we I was having some technical difficulties. I didn't catch all of the stories leading up to about Maddox, but did you guys talk about? Uh, any of the bullpen uh, bullpen catcher stories about you know close your eyes and hold out your mitt and I'll hit it here at, at Peco. I, I don't I don't know if you touched on any of that. Go for it. I I, I don't know that I think I just told the story. It was yeah. literally like you know in you know pitching getting ready here at Peco and you know he's a seasoned vet and even seeing the footage of him with uh, David Wells with Boomer, it's like I you know to think about how many uh, legendary players of the game you know guys like. Boomer did a no-hitter. Maddox, obviously one of the greatest pitchers ever, and who played for the Padres, but just not in their prime. Um, you know, stories like this happen where they come and it's just like, hey, close your eyes. And, you know, I don't know if it's true. It's I heard a story. I thought maybe you guys who would be much more in tune to uh, the truth of a story like this, but close your eyes and I'll hit the mitt. And that's, I mean, I, I love I love hearing stuff like that, the behind-the-scenes stuff that, you know, as fans, we don't necessarily, if we do hear, we don't know if it's true. So. And it doesn't matter if it's true. Uh, we'll have Trevor Hoffman on a little bit later, uh, at least in terms of the story, it doesn't matter. Uh, right, right. right. Greg Maddox stuff. Trevor also has some very fascinating insight into the Gwyn Maddox stuff. 
Um, so you'll want to stay oh. tuned for that. Certainly. One of the things we were kicking around was the, the way he was able Brady to take advantage of uh, an era in which the strike zone was perhaps a bit more variable uh, than it is now. Is that a nice political way to say that? Um, but he was so pinpoint, his command was so good that like, even in this era, I don't think anybody would disagree that he would have figured out a way to be just as dominant. Right. He's one of the guys that, yes, you're right. He certainly excelled in that era with that larger strike zone, but he's one of the ones that would have been able to adapt just fine to what we're dealing with now, because uh, that's what he's known for, right? The professor, I mean, he, he, I, the professor, what a great nickname, by the way. He looks like every college professor I've ever had. So uh, I, I think it's really fantastic. AJ, did you already allude to the third base? Like, I know you're writing all these articles right now going through the best. You guys already talked, I think, about your most recent one, the third baseman. No, we're going to get to it in a moment. Well, then I'm just going to shut up. There you go. Yeah, we're talking. This about is what that. happens when technical difficulties happen, you know. Well, well speaking of Maddox and third baseman, I can. I, I read a story today on our. We had a seven Greg Maddox stories in MLB.com, and one of them I've heard before, but I hadn't heard the specifics of it. That I guess he told Bobby Cox to one one specific batter. He said, "I'm going to throw three pitches. I'm going to throw a fastball. I'm going to throw a changeup, and then I'm going to throw a pop up to third base." And that's exactly what happened in that at bat. And so, like, like we said with the last story, it might not be verifiably true. Like this is when it happened, but. With a guy like Greg Maddox, you you just believe it because he was that good. Those stories yeah. are they are the most fun uh, of any of them. So anyway, happy fifty fourth birthday uh, to the Hall of Famer Greg Maddox and his magic good stuff with Trevor Hoffman about Greg Maddox coming up. This oh look at that, card. rated rookie. Card. Nice. Yeah, I'm like I don't I don't know how to not get the glare on here, but there he is. There he is. Is that a uh, Don Russ eighty eight? It does. Uh, I think eighty seven. Yeah, okay. it doesn't even look like him either. It's really weird. He he transformed into a different human being as he got older. It's really wild. Anyway, love me some Mad Dog. The the era of white pants on the road. Padres, Cubs, Astros. You had a few teams in the mid late eighties wearing white pants on the road. Very odd. Leave it That's to the Uni Watch geek to uh, pull that out of that baseball card. Nice work, Jess. I, as a kid, I remember it bothered me watching the Cubs, the blue tops and the white pants. And I remember asking my dad, like, why are they allowed to wear white pants on the road? That's <laughs> not how it's supposed to be. You know, it's like. Yeah. These are the things that kept six-year-old Jesse up at night, sadly. It's a good insight. Uh, somebody asking about Maddox's uh, off-the-field behavior. Yes, he is known um, as one of the more colorful characters in baseball history in all of the ways. Uh, most of it is probably not family-friendly enough for this particular show, but uh, you can open up your Google if you're of age, uh, and uh, you can find a lot of very funny and uh Minorly disturbing Greg Maddox stories. Nothing dangerous or, or terrible or anything like that. But he's a little bit of a wacko. And Trevor kind of uh, alludes to that as well. Again, he's got a GoFundMe going. He's matching donations up to $54,000, Greg Maddox, for his 54th birthday. Uh, some of that money uh, stays here in San Diego uh, uh, at Rady. So uh, definitely worth checking out the, uh, the GoFundMe page. And happy birthday, uh, Greg Maddox. All right. You alluded to it, Brady. So let's jump into it. AJ's uh, latest List on MLB.com, on Padres.com, at the uh, five greatest, best third baseman in Padre history. Number one on this list. Has anybody given you a hard time about this? No, not really. And it's kind of the first time that people haven't given me a hard time at number one. But the beauty of these lists is that there are five people. So if you like number one, you can still argue about number four. But uh, no, I think I think Ken Kennedy is the obvious number one, just based on his peak. Um, if you want to make a case for a couple of the other guys, that's fine with me. But his 1996 season was incredible. It's the best offensive season by a third baseman in Padres history. It might be the best. It's one of the best offensive seasons in Padres history, period. Um, 95 to 98. I think 95 through 97, he won gold gloves and silver sluggers. I don't know the specifics. I think two all-star games in there and obviously was on that 98 team. And so for him to be a part of two of the most successful teams in franchise history and also win the MVP award, he's, he's the lone MVP winner. Um He's he's to me the obvious number one. I think you can maybe get into a little debate behind him. Yeah, that, that's uh, it, it's a pretty fairly obvious. Like all you have to say is the only guy to ever win MVP, and he's on a pennant winning team. I think those two teams, uh, those two things, kind of lock it in. Pretty, you're you're fine with this, I imagine. Absolutely. I mean, the guy was a, a monster. I mean, if uh, obviously there's some things that happened that we found out later about his career that I think people would, you know be able to say, oh, but this and that. Well, I mean, all things considered, a lot of people were doing what he was doing. And on the field that year, uh, especially in 96, I mean, just an absolute animal. And as far as the history of the team, 
Um, you know, if Manny Machado puts in another decade of insane years, his best years ever, then maybe he uh, he can start crawling into that conversation. But for now, it's Caminiti. It's not close. Yeah, Manny, not in AJ's top five. I thought maybe you'd try and get yeah. sneaky and throw him yeah. in there and, and and stir some stuff up. Phil Nevin, number two. Now, I imagine you heard from some people on this. It, it wasn't that people weren't that upset with this choice. I think people, a lot. I think Phil Nevin left a little bit of more, more probably more of a legacy than I realized. In fact, that a lot of people, some people even considered making him number one. I mean, he was for those six, seven years he was here, he was really good, and he was the replacement for Caminiti from '99 to 2001. And there was basically very little drop off in those three seasons. Which I mean, when you're going from an MVP and a two-time All Star and a guy who for four years anchored third base and you're throwing Phil Nevin into the mix and saying, Hey, replace that guy. He did it pretty admirably. And so I heard so, a little bit of pushback and I think some people might've wanted who I had three or four, but Nevin in terms of his longevity and his peak for me, that makes him the the number two guy. He has, he has enough of the attributes there where I'm not, I, I'm not comfortable putting anyone ahead of him. And more home runs than any other Padre third baseman. Is that right? Yeah, that was, I mean, he plays some first base in there. So that's among all-time uh, primary third basemen. He easily is the most. It's not even close. I would actually have to go back and look and see who has the most as a third baseman. But he has 156. I want to say Caminiti's next with something around 100 or 120. All right, so one and two, Caminiti and Nevin. Number three, this is crazy because it wasn't that long ago uh, that he was here. Uh, but uh, that, of course, was not the main part of his existence. Uh, but number three is Chase Headley. Yeah, and so here's where the debate comes in. And this, I think, is a really fun debate, Chase Headley and Gary Sheffield. Uh, I have Gary Sheffield at four. Chase Headley's 2012 season might be the second best season for a third baseman in franchise history. The contender for it is the 92 Gary Sheffield season, where he won a batting title, pushed for a triple crown, didn't probably do some of the defensive things that Headley did. So Gary Sheffield might have the the short burst uh, kind of qualities that you want in this list, but Chase Headley did it for from from 2007 to 2014. We'll discount the 18 season because he he wasn't he obviously wasn't the player that he was at, at the start of his career. But for those eight seasons in San Diego, he was extremely steady for seven of them, and for one of them, he was as good as any third baseman other than Ken Caminiti in franchise history. So I have to go with him over Gary Sheffield. If you want to argue based on your criteria that that the, that one peak season. Gary Sheffield deserves it over him. I'm not going to discount that, but I had Chase Headley based more on the longevity than what Sheffield did it for. Apropos of nothing, I could watch Gary Sheffield swing all day. Oh, it's great. Go ahead, Brady. No, I just think that Sheffield swing. It's so great because I remember when, when Nevin was swinging, you know, his, both of these guys had such fast hands that they, like the amount of wiggle that they could get into that swing before really launching into it was just really impressive. And uh, I, you're right, though. He he adds a little bit of swagger, certainly more so than Nevin. <laughs> Movement aside, he had more swagger. But uh, watching, watching, man, correct me if I'm wrong, that 2012 season of Headley, that was the second half. He became like the greatest athlete in the history of time. Like, I don't know what happened in that second half. But I think it's that second half that the Yankees uh, really latched onto and thought that they were getting when they when they picked him up. Yeah, to, yeah. to me, Chase Headley was his that 2012 season. If you look at the ballpark factor that he did it in, some of the league run factors, like his numbers on the surface are not as good as Gary Sheffield's numbers. And no one is saying that Chase Headley is a better baseball player than Gary Sheffield. But if we're just comparing times spent as a Padre, I will almost take Headley's 2012 season over Sheffield's 92 season. And then you attack on the longevity that he had. I, I just had to put him three. I'm, again, I'm not going to gripe if you have Sheffield three, but I, I think there's a lot to be said for what he did that year and then the fact that he was here. I mean, Sheffield was only here for a year and a half, so it's hard for me to put him higher than, than where I had him at four. Yeah, it's kind of the fun thing is like, are you catching, are you going to go lightning in the bottle versus, you know, maybe some lesser numbers spread out a little bit more? I'm not going to give you a hard time about it. All right. The last spot was the other uh, starting third baseman on the other pennant winning team and uh, really uh, bringing this guy home. One of the key moves for that era of Padre baseball. 
Yeah, to me, I thought one through four, at least when I was coming up with the list, they all fell into place pretty easily. I spent a decent amount of time trying to figure out who number five should be, and I just had to go with the guy that was on that was a, that was key and instrumental in a winning team. I mean, he was one of the final pieces on that 84 team. He did a lot of really good things that maybe weren't appreciated at the time in terms of his contributions defensively and reaching base. Like He was a pretty valuable player, even if his batting average was low. And so I had to go with him. There's some, there's some other interesting options. Uh, Luis Salazar, uh, top of my head, I can't remember who Kevin Kuzminoff. Yeah. Um, but he, but to me, it was it's Greg Nettles based on just just what he meant to a really important team in franchise history. Brady, what yeah, do you I think? I feel like in hindsight, you know, Craig, no, he doesn't get enough credit for that '84 run. You know, we obviously. You, we think in history, you know, we think, oh, of Gwynn and, you know, you think of Gossage and obviously Garvey and that famous home run and and then names that have, you know, former uh, co-host on the show, Bovacqua, uh, former coach Bocci, uh, Bocci, geez, Bocci, Flannery, you know, all these guys that, you know, I think have kind of had names in, in, in Padres sort of lore. But uh, I feel like Nettles, because of his maybe fame with the Yankees, like he gets he gets shoved down when he should be maybe propped up a little more for his role in that 84 team. Yep. And, uh, you know, it was one of the guys that I, I think coming over with Gossage, like you talk to people who are around, they say he brought sort of like that big league attitude and the guy that had been there before and had done some of the winning and uh, sort of knew what it took. Uh, and that's that's something I don't think you can ever uh, put too high of a price tag on when you're trying to make a pennant contending team. And that's exactly what they did. So there you go. Casavell's list is up on MLB.com, Padres.com. A lot of little good like factoids and nuggets about these guys. Some great old video as well. I think for a lot of us, that's that's always the most fun of these things. So there you go. Top five third baseman in Padre history. Speaking of Padre history on this day, which is uh, April 14th in 2001, uh, Dave Winfield, the Hall of Famer, officially had his jersey retired uh, in Mission Valley. His son threw out the first pitch. That's a wonderful, wonderful picture. So number 31 went up forever uh, on this date in 2001. I mean, we all have, you know, sort of, I think, the the basic Dave Winfield story down by now, but one of the absolute Brady, most remarkable athletes of his time. Yeah, wasn't he? I, didn't he basically have a choice of three different leagues that he could go pro in with football, baseball, basketball, just decide which one he wanted to become a professional stud in? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah. and then right to the bigs. I mean, it was it yeah. was incredible. The guy's insane, and I um, first Padre to uh, to don the SD in the Hall of Fame, if I remember correctly. Indeed, uh, great collegiate career as Dancing Friar uh, mentions at the University of Minnesota, and uh, yeah, basketball star, football star, baseball star, and uh, just uh, one of, like I said, one of the most incredible athletes of all time. Tremendous career uh, with oh. some interesting stories. He's also one of those guys. It seems like ended up at different. Oh, another good card. Yeah, I can't seem to get the angle correct on these to not have it be just super shiny. But there's Dave. I got all these cards behind me, so when I know it looks like he's crouching down to try and fit inside the baseball card. (laughs) (laughs) He's like six foot twenty, so I think that you're right. Yeah, he's he's really he's trying to squat down to get in that get in that card. That one is uh, eighty one Don Russ. Who would have thought two Don Russ cards, Jess? Just like that. But yeah, he was uh he was a stud. And I love that uh I, I just I think that actually he's a great example of if we look back to the list we just went through, AJ, of your your third baseman. Um, have you thought about doing a list? I mean, one could be really offensive, right? Like the worst Padres player at every position, like Doug Marabelli would probably have a lock on catcher. Um, but I that would probably get a lot of hate mail and it would just be kind of mean. Uh but the other list that would be kind of fun are the best. Padres to ever play for the team, but not as Padres, right? Like Dave Winfield is a legend for sure, a Hall of Famer for sure, but not necessarily because of what he did in a Padres uniform. Um, you know, it was certainly coupled with obviously his prowesses uh, on, on the Yankees, but I don't know. I think it'd be a pretty cool list. Like the Mike Piazzas of the world, the Greg Maddoxes of the world, like these guys who came in uh, and played for the Padres that were certainly well past their prime or maybe before they hit their prime, like uh, Sheffield, you know? It's, yeah. Uh, I think you get that with a lot of teams. Like, the Winfield probably isn't the best example of that, but like you said, Piazza and Maddox. So a lot of, there's a lot of guys who play on different teams at the end of their careers that you kind of forget. 
And I've learned that going through this. And I, these are things that I knew, but I just get reminded of each time I dig into these guys, like Willie McCovey at first base. Willie McCovey's right, an all-time right. great. He had a pretty solid, actually, tenure in San Diego. But Willie McCovey at first base, there you go. He's an all-time legend Hall of Famer who people who aren't Padres fans don't know of his exploits with the Padres. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's it, it's Johnny Unitas as a Charger. It's Tom Brady now as a Tom Buccaneer. Uh, hey, you don't know what he's going to do as a Buck. What if he goes on to win four uh, four straight Super Bowls as a Buck, Jess? You know, not going to happen. <laughs> and we'll amend we'll amend this social hour. We'll go back, yeah. back in time. Yeah, that's that's, that's the same likelihood is that I'll have a time machine to go back and take it back. with the Buccaneers. I do think it's a good way to stir things up, though. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, Jess. No, no, no. Uh, question we've probably been getting more than any other question, of course, uh, is the obvious one. When will baseball come back? What will it look like? Uh, will they play under the Biodome uh, in Arizona? Will there be Grapefruit League versus Cactus League? Will there be normalcy? Will there be fans? Will there be no fans? And, and as we've said almost every day, I think, is like we just really don't know. Um, we did get some new reporting on everything uh, earlier today from The Athletic. Ken Rosenthal uh, and Evan Drellick, both. Also, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, uh, went on TV. Um, basically, there's nothing really happening right now, was the news to come out of this story, is is that the real deal, deep conversations uh, between the league and the Players Association are not being had at the moment. Um, it's, it's very much wait and see. Manfred, on his TV appearance this morning, sort of further uh, cemented what I think we all sort of knew, which was that they're going to have to follow the lead of the medical communities uh, in these different places and that they're not going to be able to, you know, really make any big decisions until we have a clearer sense of the uh, medical situation in this country. So it is a holding pattern. There is like no major decision coming imminently, it sounds like. And obviously, how could there be? So uh, we continue to be in wait and see mode. They are obviously, you know, at least kicking around some ideas. That's how we heard about the stuff that we heard about in the last week. Uh, but these shots of spring training, which, of course, were not all that long ago. Uh, who knows when, when we'll get to see that again. Uh, but Rob Manfred, I think, DJ, making it pretty clear again today. Health, safety uh, uh, come, you know, before anything else right now. Yeah, you say those shots weren't that long ago. They feel like 100 years ago. But uh, I think, I, yeah, I think that was my biggest takeaway was that they have had discussions and they have laid out some possibilities. And I think most of the things that you're hearing rumors about have been things that have been bandied about in the commissioner's office. And they've, they've talked about a lot of different possibilities. That doesn't mean certain ones are likely. That doesn't mean all of them are going to happen this way. I think it has to be a wait and see approach because we don't know what the next step is. We don't know what happens. We don't know what the sports landscape, what the world landscape is going to look like in a month. And so that's the way it has to be. And, and I think that it's, it's prudent not to put, not to put decisions as to what's going to happen into place now, because we, we don't know what's going to, what the world's going to look like in a month. And so if you, if you were to do so, maybe you, you hold yourself to some timeline that things have to get done this way. And by sitting back and taking it in and find and learning, you've set yourself up for potentially a, I mean, Time will be of the essence whenever, whenever there's a chance to get this thing rolling, but you've set yourself up probably for, for a, a, maybe a smoother return if you don't try and rush things. Yeah, I saw Ryan Cohen's comment on there, uh, kind of echoing what you said, uh, AJ, about he went to Peoria last weekend of February, and it feels like it was 2011. Um, that footage was wild to watch because it definitely does not feel like it was months ago. It feels like it was years ago. And uh, but, you know, this is the right thing to do, right, is depend on the medical and scientific community to make these decisions. I mean, it's the reason that, you know, sales organizations have risk managers. Sales guys would be like, just do it, sell it, give them a huge, you know, but baseball players, they want to play ball and, and managers want to coach ball and teams want to, um, you know, get their product on the field so they can make money. Um, but we need to you know, be able to use the medical and scientific community around us to really lean on them during, you know, to bring some, you know, some level uh, minded rationale to figuring this out because we're all figuring out as we go. I mean, this is a, a scary time and we got to make sure that we're, we're keeping the safety of everyone around us uh, first. And so I think, you know, it's absolutely good that they're tossing around all these ideas for when, you know, some sort of lift or some sort of uh, light comes shining through for them to make that decision, you know, that's a smart business, but 
to make those decisions without, you know, the scientific and medical community is ridiculous. So they're doing the right thing in that regard. And, and two, you talk about, you know, best laid plans. And, and when you start putting dates on things, obviously, you can set yourself up for a, a tough situation. Uh, that was a lesson learned, I guess, by the, the Chinese Basketball Association, the professional league in China, um, which is like a big money making league. A lot of guys go you know, from the U.S. to play over there because it pays really well. And uh, their season was supposed to start in January. Obviously, it was delayed. They had put April 15th tomorrow out there as the day that they would return and they announced uh, either yesterday or today all right we're pushing it back again and now they're saying july at the earliest and so again you start thinking all right well china theoretically at least and i'm no virologist uh you know they're ahead of where we are in terms of the way this this you know virus has gone through their society and if they're saying july at the earliest for basketball does that mean we're behind that Obviously, there are a million variables, so it's hard to know. But again, we can uh, we can throw dates out there as much as we want. We can try and predict things as much as we want. They were hopeful three months ago that they'd be able to play basketball tomorrow in China, and now they're saying, "Hey, it'll be uh, it'll be July at the earliest." And who knows if that ends up even uh, being realistic at all. All right. As for spring training, one of the guys uh, who was very regularly appearing uh, in brown and gold was number fifty-one, Trevor Hoffman. He was nice enough uh, to join us earlier this afternoon. Talk about a whole lot of fun stuff. Awesome, Trevor, to see you. Thank you for joining us, taking the time. Glad to hear the family is uh, doing all right. Well, we've been talking a lot about shaving and beards on this show because a lot of people are letting it go. You win, man. That's that's the best beard we've seen so far. <laughs> well, I, I put the time in. I left uh, spring training on the 12th, I think, 11th, 12th. Um, and I haven't touched it since, obviously. I got a lot of pockets. Joey Hamilton would have a lot of fun ragging me for my effort here because he wore me out for not being able to have a connection on my goatee when we play together. So I'm sure he's going to see this and wear me out because it's a tired attempt at a, at a beard. That's a pretty good month. This is three days right here. I got nothing going at all. Uh, what would you say to a, a pitcher uh, who might call you or text you now in, in terms of how to handle this thing from a physical standpoint? You're into spring training. Your innings are going up. Uh, your pitch counts are going up. We slam on the brakes, and now we don't know what's next and when is next. What would your advice be? Yeah, um, I, I think the question's real, um, and it's something that could be asked anytime soon. I think that's the unknown. It's like, how do you stay you know, as locked in? How do you stay as close to ready as possible? I, I think everyone's going to get an opportunity to ramp up, um, so they don't have to feel like uh, you're sitting at the end of a, a, a quarter mile. Um, but what I would say is maintain your running. Um, hopefully you have access to, you know, a distance or a, a space that you can run. Um, I, th I think ultimately that's something that will help your body flush. Um, and then play just, you know, light catch. I, I, I think even if it's like up against the wall, um, you know, sometimes when I was getting ready for the season, I'd use the, the rubber yellow balls that you couldn't, you couldn't destroy. and you know, I'd be playing catch with myself in a parking structure on vacation. So it's just a matter of uh, maintaining your range of motion. I know a lot of guys were getting close to game ready and, you know, when things got shut down. And so, you know, to, to think that you have to maintain that level isn't realistic. I think you kind of go into um, just a, a, ultimately a maintain uh, exercise standpoint. So running, you know, light lift, more arm care and, uh, you know, find a, a wall that's your best friend to, to play uh, up against. And it's just more, you know, endurance than it is uh, intensity. Makes a lot of sense. Like a kid with a tennis ball in the garage door back in the day, something like that. Uh, you spent a lot of time in Peoria this spring. It was wonderful seeing you around. What did you see? What did you like? Uh, anything stand out to you? I know you got an opportunity to watch a lot of guys really up close. Yeah, honestly, uh, the thing that stood out to me is it was very workmanlike. I, I like the idea of not a lot of talk, a little bit more work. Um, guys were very diligent in their bullpens. Um, everyone, for that matter, stood out in their effort and their function, their their ability to repeat. Um, you know, in spring training is just a lot of fun to just see guys excited to be on the field. And you know, this is obviously throwing a wrench in that, but uh, you know, even games were fun. You know, unfortunately, the last game that I saw was when McKenzie and Patino were out there, not really what they wanted to probably finish on as far as camp went. But, you know, I also feel like it was an opportunity for them maybe to reflect on how 
moving forward, they're going to grow as a player. You know, it's not always going to just be a streamlined straight to the big leagues. And so those things that you get knocked down in, you know, I can still close my eyes and visualize Dave Magadan just wearing me out my last, you know, opportunity to pitch in spring training before I get sent down with the Reds. So, you know, some you think about, some that you can uh, hopefully look at and, and gain some confidence from. Future Padre hitting coach Dave Magadan. Not that we knew that then. Um, you mentioned those two guys, the, the two big pitching prospects, Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino. I saw you watching bullpens from literally like four feet away from those guys. What, what stood out to you in terms of what you can take away from a session like that? Yeah, just the repeatability um, and, and just, you know, what they their action on their pitches. I think things ramp up even more when you put a hitter in there. You, it, you get rid of the bullpen session. You get rid of the, the batting cage. You, you get into more real-life uh, opportunities to pitch. Their stuff is going to get better. And, you know, I just going from, uh, like you mentioned, Jess, a couple feet away in a bullpen to the dugout and watching these guys pitch on the main field, you could tell there was a different crispness to their pitches. There was more a tighter spin. There was a little bit more extension. There was, you know, that effort level that that does kick in. And so, you know, I think that's what people and even been out of the game as long as, you know, 10 years. That's what people don't realize. The closer you get to the action, the, the speed of the game picks up. And when you step into the batter's box as a hitter, you know, you can stand just off to the side. And then once you step in, it's a completely different scenario that you're walking into. So I, I, I was very impressed with what I saw um, and then the levels, different levels that I saw them, them, them engaged in. I know it's been a couple of years now that we've kind of seen this become ubiquitous in baseball, but the technology now uh, in the bullpen areas, you've got the Rapsodos and the Trackmans and uh, Hawkeye, and you've got screens and iPads kind of all over the place. What, what do you make of that and, and the way it's being used right now? Because it's really one of the things that fascinates me. Fascinates me too. Um, almost to the point where I don't know how I would handle that kind of information. Um, I'm not a visual learner. I think a lot of the kids today are that they want to throw something and they'll have an idea what it felt like but maybe with these tools it paints a different picture that they're able to understand what is trying to be accomplished and so I didn't like a lot of talk in my bullpens if it was it was a couple key words just to kind of you know re-identify or help me work on something that I was trying to do in that bullpen session but I was really trying to stay locked in mentally on the glove the lane that I was trying to throw in um, what type of execution I was getting out of the different pitch, whether it was a curveball or changeup. Um, whereas today, like you mentioned, you know, you have a, an opportunity to tinker. It's, 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 it's real life time. It's, it's, you know, your opportunity to, to in the moment, get more education out of what you're trying to do rather than throw it's tape, go to the video room, look at it, go, gosh, I wish I would have known in the moment, maybe I could have made a difference and would have sped up the, the learning curve. Yeah, it's a remarkable thing to watch. And I'm kind of seeing it obviously from the other side, not even being able to see the output of the information of the video, but just the way it's used. It's really an incredible thing. All right. I don't want to take up uh, too much of your evening here. Uh, Greg Maddox's birthday. We've been talking about that for a little bit. You had the opportunity to be teammates uh, for a little bit towards uh, the end here in San Diego. What is something you know about the Hall of Famer, your, your co-Hall of Famer, your fellow Hall of Famer, Greg Maddox, uh, that, that none of us could possibly have understood uh, being on the outside looking in? Yeah, I, I really think that Greg had the ability to, to see the game truly from a one and only lens. Um, his ability to command pitches, his ability to handle lineups um, was unlike I'd, I'd ever really witnessed or, or heard him talk about. I think, uh, and I, and I kind of put it this way, I, I know that he didn't have great numbers against T. Gwynn, and yet he wasn't overly concerned with regular season at bats. He was worried that if he ever faced the Padres and Tony in a, in a playoff situation, it would be an opportunity for him to maybe pull out something out of his bag of tricks to use one time, one time only to try and get the hall of famer out. And it's just a different way of thinking. Um, you know, I was sitting around on Easter Sunday to watching the replay of the 19 um, masters from Augusta and they had Jim Nance and Tiger Woods, you know, edit or, you know, you know, talking about, what went on a year ago and just to kind of hear Tiger's thought process on, you know, sitting in the middle of a fairway and watch Kepka and Poulter go into the water on 12 and, you know, watch, um, not who was it? Uh, 
his playing partner was waiting around trying to figure out nine iron, eight iron, ended up going eight, couldn't hit it long, you know, a firm eight because it might go too deep and him going in the water. And so I think it's a fascinating opportunity to kind of dive in and see what some people are thinking within the moment. And so Greg had that ability, Greg, you know, as as crazy, gross and funny as he was um, big heart and wanted to teach the game. I know a lot of our guys peeve and, and uh, you know, many of our pitchers, myself in, in included, we learned a lot from him and learned a lot from just the way he went about his business. And, you know, sometimes you had to sift through some of his craziness, but uh, uh, nonetheless, it was some great information. Um, he would be a part of a great battery. Brad Osmus's birthday is today. So we want to wish Brad a, a happy 51st birthday. I know it's a great number for him. And he thinks, you know, you know, 51 is fabulous too, but uh, it's interesting that they share a birthday. They're both, kind of probably polar opposites but uh, a great battery nonetheless absolutely happy birthday to uh, brad osmus 51 like you said that's a good one yeah the uh, the legendary gross gregmatic stories might not be for for here and now but you can google you can google there's plenty <laughs> out there for people to find uh hey trevor really appreciate it wonderful to see you here voice i know you're bringing uh, some normalcy to a lot of padre fans uh, who are watching this and i know they appreciate it so continue to stay healthy be well and, and thanks again thanks for having me Shout out to everybody out there. Thanks. Thanks for having me. The Hall of Famer, Trevor Hoffman. And again, a big thank you for uh, joining us earlier today. First of all, uh, Joey Hamilton wearing him out uh, about not being able to grow a beard is the the best stuff in baseball. It's like those little clubhouse things that uh, are are so enjoyable for all of us. I I thought what he had to say about, well, two things. One, Tony and, and Greg Maddox. We'll get to that. Uh, but the technology, you know, it's spring and spring training and it's being used now throughout the regular season as well. Uh, but AJ, you've been there. You've seen that stuff up close. I mean, there are times during some bullpen sessions where depending on who the pitcher is uh, that like he and or the pitching coach after every single pitch will kind of step you guys hear me? I think I've lost that. Oh, we're losing AJ. We're losing AJ. Brady, I'll let you know that you weren't there. Uh, but it, it's an incredible thing with some of these guys after every single pitch in their bullpen session. It's kind of a look over to the iPad. And, uh, you know, look at look at all the information that's outputted right there. It's it's just amazing. Yeah, I think the wild thing about that is really listening to the way that Trevor was trying to process it. The fact that he didn't actually know if he did have all of that information and what he would do with it. Uh, that That's the part that I find really fascinating is that, um, you know, he Trevor, I think really more than. Any player that I can think of when it came to him losing his fastball and then developing that changeup and just completely reinventing himself as a ball player and as a dominant closer in this game, a Hall of Fame closer in this game, um, the fact that he could see this technology, you know, shaking out with these players in this time now and, and really think to himself, as he just said in the interview, like, I don't, I don't even know what I would have done with this information. Um, that, that part's pretty fascinating to me. Like that's how fast the game is changing and the analytics are changing and the way that these players can process information. And I mean, man, every single pitch that feels like insane overkill. Um, but maybe that's how these guys are growing and that's how they're so stinking good. I don't know. You know, it's not necessarily every single pitch of every single bullpen session, but when you're working on a particular thing, you can look over, get that information and try and move on from there. It really is. Uh, remarkable aj yeah. Pat, is, are you working are you there i'm there i got a i got a i'm on my phone today and i got a phone call from potential spam in the middle of the uh in the middle of the interview so i then that that threw everything that threw off. everything but, off. Uh, <laughs> yeah but i can uh i can just jump in on that what uh what i think is interesting is talking to these guys about the way they use that information because not all of them use it to the extent that they want they can kind of pick and choose the things that they like about it they can pick and choose the way they want to use it which we shouldn't be looking at these pitchers and saying they need to use every bit of information they can get because they have so much information. Now, if, if a guy wants to completely ignore it because that's what's best for him and that's the way he, he, that's the way he can maybe grow the best or learn, I guess, about himself, it's the old school way, that should be completely fine. We should allow pitchers to be on all ends of that spectrum of taking no information and just going out there and pitching to – taking all the information they can get and going out there and pitching. I think the most important thing you can have as an organization in, in regards to this is people who can maybe simplify some of that information or at least explain that information 
and what what is actually important, what needs to be said, and what needs to be gotten through to to hitters and to pitchers, and using that in in a way to to convey to them what needs to be done while not making it overbearing. Because I mean, even for guys like us, there is too much information, and when we never have too much information, like that, that's kind of like we it, it, baseball is a is a it's a ceaseless sport of information. There's just so much information and it's usually good for our purposes, but sometimes there can be too much in terms of oversaturation to the point where you aren't bettering yourself as a ball player. So if you take the right things, work on them, that's I think the ideal way to go about it. Yeah. It's not a one size fits all approach by any stretch of the imagination. And you know, you you might look more when you're trying to tinker with something and other times you might ignore completely. And as you said, even guy to guy, it could be a, a completely different approach with how to use that information. But boy, it's there if you want it. Uh, and it's it's an incredible thing. Also, you know, just going back to what Trevor had to say about Maddox and, and Tony, it's like, you know, we, we talk often how, you know, some guys are thinking in a bat ahead. This is Greg Maddox thinking months ahead in a, in a you know, potentially with Tony Gwynn and saying, yeah, forget whatever happens here in March or April or May. Uh, I'm worried about, you know, potentially seeing this guy in October. Of course, only one playoff series ever. So a very, very, very small sample size here. Uh, Tony in the 98 NLCS against Maddox, who started one game, came out of the bullpen in game five, uh, three ground outs and was intentionally walked once. So I don't know if, if Maddox walked away from that feeling like his, uh, his system worked after Tony hit over 400 against him the rest of the time. Uh, but that's an incredible thing to hear, guys, uh, that, that he was thinking that way when facing some of these guys. My first thought as I was listening to that was it was like it was the perfect example of the the old saying, like, you know, we're over here playing checkers and this guy's playing chess and Greg Maddox is absolutely playing chess with the entire league. He's thinking about playoff appearances in the future. Not even, you know, he's like, Oh yeah, this guy's hitting 400 plus against me and I can't strike him out, but whatever. Um, If I ever face him in the playoffs, I got this one thing up my sleeve. I just love, 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 love that. I love the way he's thinking. And I love how great is Tony that he has to even think like to, to, you know, be in that like, you know, mental blender of if I ever face, face this guy in the playoffs, uh, I'm going to have something up my sleeve. I just love that Tony was that good that it forced Maddox into that train of thought is beautiful. Absolutely remarkable. All right. We're going to buzz through a couple of things here in these uh, last couple of moments. Uh, this was a neat video that was going around online as a high school kid uh, from South Florida, St. Thomas Aquinas High School. So he's been working out, you know, he's been swinging and he says uh, at some point a neighbor comes up to him and says, hey, man, I really like your swing. You know, I'd love to work with you. Just happens to be former big leaguer Jose Tabata. Uh, Those are the Pirates for a lot of years. So they're neighbors in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, so they've been working out during the quarantine, keeping their distance, as you can see. Uh, But I mean, imagine being like a high school baseball player. And all of a sudden from down the street ambles the, uh, the former big leaguer. Uh, a, he compliments your swing, and then B, he says, hey, hey let, let's hit together. I can show you some stuff. Uh, AJ, that's about as cool as it gets. Yeah, that's awesome. And that is a, I, that is a really nice swing. There's something about that, the left-handed smoothness about it that's, that, that I like a lot. But yeah, like, like you said, I mean, I think baseball instruction is one of the coolest aspects of covering baseball, the way you can kind of get through messages to help make players better and make people better um, because it is such a weird blend of, mental and physical uh and this kind of stuff is really 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 cool especially at a time now when there is no baseball this is about all you can get and it looks like this kid's making the most of it i totally echo your thoughts on that aj i think that first of all that the kid that is there's a reason he was admiring the swing for a couple days i mean that that is a great looking swing and and then i i just can't even imagine a scenario of you know, you're out there doing your thing, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, current pro, former pro walks up. I mean, for a high school kid, that is a dream come true and obviously pretty legendary. I think this kind of blew up a little bit on Twitter, and then here we are in San Diego talking about it right now. So I think it's really, really cool that, uh, you know, during this kind of crazy time, they were able to find a connection and they were able to uh, have some fun with it. So really neat. Steve Sparks there. I agree. That's uh, that's it in, in a nutshell. Uh, paying it forward. Really cool stuff. All right. Uh, we had some fun video yesterday of Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, playing in his uh, video game on, on Sunday, just dominating uh, suckers and being hilarious and cracking up. And of course, it reminded us of just how exciting Fernando is to watch and how much we've missed doing it. And uh, he, he was on a, a, a stream yesterday with, among others, 
uh, Aaron Judge and Josh Donaldson. And this clip has been going around. If you're a Padre fan, just sit back and enjoy. Uh, this is Josh Donaldson, an MVP, uh, one of the top hitters of the last however many years at this point, talking about what he saw from Fernando during his rookie year. Yeah, I mean, for me, shoot, I think one of the coolest moments was last year where I got to see Tatis play. Seriously. I, <laughs> I heard a lot about him. And, um, you know, I was like, everybody kept saying, like, oh, yeah, he's ready for the big leagues. I'm like, man, that's good. He's pretty young. And then we get to go to the all after the all star break. We go see him. I'm like, yeah, so I got to see some highlights because I like to watch baseball. I'm a baseball fan. And I watched him. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, I see. And then I got to see him in person. And I've, I've played against a lot of guys and how fast he can go from zero to 100 running <laughs> is incredible. I remember there was a couple of times he slid in at third base and I was going to cover and I might have to jump out the way. If he if I don't get out the way, I think he would have blew both my knees out. That's how fast he was going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, you need, to, you need to calm down. I'm like, hey, relax. Relax a little bit. But that was one of the uh, you know, cool parts uh, for me last year was getting to see him play. That's Josh Donaldson, uh, who saw Fernando up close last year with the Braves. And again, this is an MVP guy with Tatis on that stream, by the way. You know what I mean? That's the other thing. It wasn't like he was talking behind his back. He's saying this knowing the guy is there and part of the conversation. I mean, Brady, if you're a Padre fan, how, how do you not watch that? without a gigantic smile on your face. You you simply cannot. You cannot watch it without a giant smile. And uh, he, there a little bit more to this this stream. So it was a uh, Torrey Hunter, former MLB uh, Angels, Twins, stud, um, had Bobachet, Aaron Judge, uh, Josh Donaldson, and Tatis on as they did this interrupted show. And in the beginning, uh, Torrey Hunter actually forgot to introduce Tatis. He introduced this big introduction for all the other guys forgot. And Tatis, who's, I think, by nature a little bit, it's funny, as, as much flair as he has, like in things like this, he was very quiet and got a little bit shy in the beginning. And he just kind of let it play out and, and wanted to kind of wait to see how long uh, Tory Hunter would realize that he forgot to introduce him as the conversation was going on. And so it was really fun to see their interaction as players. And if you look back at that video clip, Go back and watch it. Find out uninterrupted, uninterrupted. It's like an hour long. It's worth it. It's so good listening to these guys and watching them interact. You really get to learn a lot about kind of who they are as people, as players. And 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 really, you saw Donaldson. You saw the way that he like respected Tatis. If you if you listen to that uh, that clip and watch his eyes as he looked down and he said, "Really, watching you was one of these you know great you know privileges to be able to see with his own eyes." So really special. It's so cool. I mean, from an MVP to get that kind of high praise, um, it was really fascinating. If you guys watch this this whole thing, Bobachet's kind of a weird dude from what I learned. Aaron Judge seems like an absolute stud. Donaldson is rocking a Toon Squad uh, Space Jam jersey, which was really cool. And uh, Torrey Hunter seems like a great guy as well. But it was really fun to watch. And just watching Tatis, I mean, as a, a fan of the team and someone who's, you know, probably unhealthily obsessed with Fernando Tatis Jr., just watching him like get the giggles at certain things that people say, like it is for sure something that Padre fans are going to want to go seek out and spend the time to watch. It was really good. Yeah, I, I love what Josh Donaldson had to say because it's like that's exactly my progression with Fernando Tatis Jr. It was exactly the way he kind of described it. It was I, I I never doubted that he would be a ridiculously good major league player, but he was coming into the major leagues at 20 years old. And I was just kind of like, I, I almost felt like I had to temper expectations a little bit in my writing because most 20 year olds come into the league and they struggle a little bit and then they figure it out. And you know what he's going to be, but you, I just didn't assume he was going to be it that fast. And all of a sudden I saw him play, kind of saw it a little bit during spring training, but you get into the regular season and you realize like, this guy is not only special in terms of how good he is, he's special in terms of the way he plays the game. And like, I think someone mentioned that rundown he was in against Atlanta. That's one of the coolest things I've ever seen on a diamond. And I, I just, uh Oh, I think Alexa's is listening. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's one of the coolest things I've seen on the diamond. Um, it was him getting out of that rundown. That's the way he plays that kind of, hey, there that's, you are, not, Jeff. that's not the way I think 
That's not the way most guys play baseball. That's the way you play baseball in your backyard when you're whiff, when you're playing wiffle ball with your friends, guys in a rundown, and you're not supposed to get out of it. You're not supposed to make that leaping catch that he just made. He's just a different breed of exciting player where, like, he's not the best player in baseball yet. I'll say he's not the best player. He could be at one point. Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. Fernando Tatis Jr., in, from what I've seen, and I'm biased because I see him every day, is the most exciting player in baseball. Yeah, I think from an excitement standpoint, we would all, it's easy for us having uh, the privilege of watching him every day, uh, would certainly make that argument. You know, it's funny, just from like an announcer standpoint, a couple of things. One, you got to really pay attention when he's on the bases because like the tagging up, you know, from third twice on pop-ups to second base, like you, you can't look away, you can't look down, you can't miss stuff. Uh, even if he's going to go first to third on a ground out or second to home on a ground out, which we saw him do last year. Like you always got to be making sure you're paying attention and not looking down into your book to write something down, thinking that, you know, the play might be over. The other thing is like, I don't think in my first six years here, five years here, I, I had more than like 10 people come up to me total and say something like, Oh, I really liked your call of whatever you're, you know, broadcasting. I had like just spring training alone this year, like 20 different people come up to me and say how much they enjoyed the call of him getting out of that rundown against the Braves. I was filling in for Don on TV. And I, I think I said something like, well, if anybody can get out of a pickle, it's Fernando Tatis Jr. And then of course he does. And it's like, I kept saying to them, I go, that's him. You're complimenting, you know, it's not me. Like, it's like, it's just, he's that remarkable of a talent. And like you said, who, who would have thought that that play which essentially is like, you know, a rundown between first and second would end up being perhaps the most disgusting thing that happened for the Padres in 2019. That's insane. I mean, it kind of yeah, was. That, that's just, my favorite on. one. That's my favorite Tatis play. I know there's a hundred of them, but that, that was my favorite one of all of them. Between uh, that and, and the other Tatis moment I love, which I think we sort of forget about a little bit because A, it was at the very beginning, and B, he did all these great on-field things. When he was introduced on opening day at Petco last year, the energy – the excitement and the volume of the crowd was unlike anything else that happened that day. And I think that was such a neat thing in terms of like everybody in the building recognizing like the future is here now, like it has arrived. This is a moment that we'll look back on and say, Hey, that was like when things started to change again for the San Diego Padres, the, the energy and the electricity of that moment I, I thought was just incredible. Yeah. And it was the same day as Machado and Machado got that ovation. And you're like, yeah, He's Manny Machado. He's been playing for seven years and he's already worth 35 wins above replacement. And he's X number of times all-star, whatever. He's done all this stuff. And then Tatis gets that same level and you're kind of like, oh, okay, let's, let's see what this kid can do. And then we saw what he did for the next five months. It was perform at a superstar level. And I think, I mean, he's 21 and he's already a superstar. Yeah. That's, that's all you have to say, I guess. All right. Uh, he's back at it on the sticks the kids say right uh twitch tomorrow as a uh, part of this tournament that mlb is doing twitch.tv slash f tatis uh the three inning games against other big leaguers it's a round robin tournament played his first games on sunday night fernando of course went three and one he walked off the braves which was pretty cool with machado he stole third and scored on an error as himself which was art imitating life uh, it was really a lot of fun so he's back at it tomorrow i think it's six o'clock uh, he's facing the dodgers the giants the indians and the Tigers, uh, so be ready for that. Also tomorrow uh, is April 15th, and of course that is uh, ever since 1997, Jackie Robinson Day uh, in Major League Baseball. As we all know, the players, if there were games, would all be wearing the number 42, coaches, managers, umpires, everybody. Really one of the most special days on the baseball calendar, uh, that holiday, if you will, established in 97 on the 50th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. So we'll have some more on that on tomorrow's show. Also, uh, MLB Network, MLB.com, doing a lot of really cool stuff uh, for Jackie Robinson Day tomorrow. So uh, check your local listings, as they say, and you can find out that information. Speaking of listings, one other reminder, uh, the show now, Padres Social Hour, will air uh, every night uh, at 7 o'clock on 97.3. The fan will be replaying what we do. So if you're not able to catch the show live or online at 5.30, you can tune into the radio uh, at 7 o'clock each evening. Monday through Thursday, and that's the radio note, the online note, the TV note is coming up less than a half an hour from now at 7 o'clock. Friends at Fox Sports San Diego are replaying a game from last April 5th. This was the Cardinals' home opener, uh, which the Padres ruined. Uh, no spoilers. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, but they beat the Redbirds uh, on that Friday afternoon in St. Louis, and uh, it was a fun game, as you see. Fernando going yard at Bush. And uh, you can watch that replay coming up tonight on Fox Sports San Diego at 7 o'clock. 
is Craig Stammen, just striking guys out. Kirby Yates, I believe, gets the save. Hunter Renfro does a very Hunter Renfro thing right here. Boy, when he gets it, it is, uh, it is, it is obvious. It really is. So this is a fun show today. Uh, big thanks to Trevor Hoffman, to AJ Casavell, to Gina, uh, to Brady Phelps, and everybody else that joined us. Uh, guys, thanks again. And uh, if you missed any of the show, remember, you can check it out all on demand on the Padres social channels. Be tuned to the radio tonight at 97.3 on the FM dial. Brady, a pleasure. Glad we got the technical stuff figured out. Sorry about it. Happy to be here tonight. Thanks, guys. No problem at all. And AJ's list, uh, again, on MLB.com, top third baseman. Uh, in Padres history, uh, is available to be argued about. Just tweet at him, right, AJ? Yeah, tweet at me. I love it. You know, it makes it, it makes it feel a little bit more like baseball season when people are disagree, disagreeing with my with my takes on the Padres. So uh, thanks for having me on. Everyone stay safe out there. Absolutely. That'll be the final word on that. We'll be back tomorrow at 5.30. Have a great night, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.